Long before there was Shovel Knight, there was another blue-armored hero named Popolon. This is Pixelated Audio, episode 30, featuring the Nightmare Saga. tuning in to another pixelated audio your bi-weekly retro video gaming music podcast we are your regular hosts i'm brian and i'm james and today we're going to be looking at a game or a series of games that really stood out to us not only because they're fun to play but because they have really cool music yeah the nightmare series isn't something that we grew up with but the more we looked into it the more we felt this would be a really awesome episode to do so the track that brought us in was the opening theme from the third game in the series called shalom it's a really cool track to to bring the show in with because it's it kind of has the I mean it's the opening theme so it's got like this prologue feel to mm-hmm. it and uh, it's really happy and cheerful and uh, I just think it's a it's a cool track it was a good choice to put in yeah I mean it really sets the the mood for the kind of game it is it's got a very you know deep story and it's very kind of whimsical and fantasy and the one of the things I really liked was it had a lot of complexity like you would expect from a like classical sounding song right. And, like the the beats had a lot of scaling to them, a lot of soft subtleties that I thought was really great that kind of emphasized this was like a classical kind of like epic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a cool little track and it was a, a good way to kind of bring in this like like refinement to the episode to kind of show that, hey, like there's you know, we're gonna be listening to music from a really well done soundtrack and, mm-hmm. and kind of this simple complexity is really it stretches and goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, and it's also uh, a little bit of a different style, too. Like, it's not that uh, badass chiptune. Like, this has got some like classicalness to it, which is really neat. Yeah. So, there's three games in the Nightmare series, and we're going to touch on all of them. But let's start out with the first title, simply called Nightmare, or Majo Densetsu, which roughly translates to The Legend of the Demon Castle. And the game itself is a top-down vertical shooter released in Japan on the MSX, published and developed by Konami in 1986. Yeah, and the MSX, if you're not familiar with, it's basically a standard of home computers that started out in 1983 and they varied in size and shape a bit but they kept all the components the same for software compatibility reasons and they became very very popular in like japan korea brazil netherlands like different places and also russia yeah but sadly not the u.s sadly no and a lot of the games that we're familiar with were actually debuted on the msx like Bomberman, Adventures of Lolo, Parodius, Puyo Puyo, and of course, Metal Gear. Yeah, and the other thing worth mentioning is that a lot of franchises like Contra and Final Fantasy and Castlevania, well, Vampire Killer, uh, Gradius, R-Type, Ease, they all had versions of the game on the MSX, but they weren't really ports because they had their own unique features and changes. For instance, Castlevania was developed on the NES and the MSX at the same time, so they share a lot of the same backgrounds, sprites, and music. But the MSX version is non-linear, so it's a lot like Metroid, and they used a lot of the elements that ended up in Castlevania too. 
Wow, that would be awesome to play a Castlevania game that's like non-linear. Yeah, no, that's cool. But yeah, so Nightmare, it sits, it sits in good company. It's a cool little gem. So Nightmare has a really basic story. The Queen Aphrodite gets captured by the evil entity known as Hoodnos, and he holds her captive in Mount Ados. So our hero, Popolon, heads out to rescue her. There's not really much of a story, but there really doesn't need to be for a game like this. Yeah. However, they really do build on it as the series continues. No, I agree. I agree. So the gameplay style for this game, like we mentioned, is top-down. It's a shooter. And the screen moves forward slowly, revealing what's kind of coming up. And for your character, you can move around in every direction, but you can only shoot upwards. Yeah, it's it's weird. The screen kind of inches, like, you know, down. It's almost like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, Tetris, how, like, the Tetraminos... They kind of fall down in a very... They don't move smoothly. Yeah, exactly. So it's not this kind of very smooth scrolling. It's very kind of inchy and jerky. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, it allows you to kind of reposition yourself and kind of re-strategize like what you're going to do next. And it's like a lot of early shooters in a lot of other ways, though. The controls, it's one button. So you have one button to press, you shoot, and that's it. But there's a lot of different power-ups that kind of change the way that you handle your weapons and and what you want to attack and what you kind of want to steer clear from. Right. So, for example, there's going to be on the field, there's these little question mark icons. And when you shoot those, a certain kind of power-up will will reveal. Mm -hmm. And some of those include, like, um, you know, killing every enemy on the screen or freezing everybody. Some will be like extra points and extra damage and stuff, different different kind of power-ups in that sense. Right, and they even hide a few where they're invisible. So you'll be shooting at an enemy and it'll get blocked by a revealing question mark. And, so. there, and there's a lot of those in the game. So mm-hmm. kind of finding out where they are to kind of up your scores is cool because that's back when points mattered. Right. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. There's a lot of other power-ups too in the game that will float down in these little crystals. And some of them contain... You know, just points and some of them will increase your movement and right. some will increase uh, some, I think, turn your body red and yeah. you can destroy. Yeah, you enemies. don't take any damage. You're not allowed to shoot anymore, but you can't take damage. So, But you can kill things with your body because you can't take damage. So right. it's, kind of, it's kind of nice in a way. So for how simple the game is, there is a lot of strategy to this. Yeah, and the weapons too are really cool because you start out shooting arrows, but the upgrades that you can get are really neat. There's a double arrow shot. There's a three fireball shot. There's a mm-hmm. boomerang. And the boomerang, I'll talk about in a second because I, I like that one. Uh, there's also a like a knife and there's like a crystal arrow. And that, that will like penetrate and shoot through the enemies and, mm-hmm. and kind of cause like chain reactions and stuff. But the, the boomerang was really cool because when you play with that, the boomerang, you shoot it and it comes back to you, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have a lot of range. So what you have to do is you have to really quickly press the button and get the, the boomerang to to come out. But you can kind of float around the top of the screen and start killing like everything real quick. It's mm-hmm. a good way to uh, get past some of the parts. So that's kind of a brief breakdown of how the game works, but let's get into the composer before we get into our first block. Right. The music for Nightmare was composed by Miki Higashino, and we've talked about her before. Yeah, that was the uh, Tournament Fighters episode. Right, right. But as a refresher, she started off her career when she got hired as a part-time composer for Konami in 1984. But after showing her talent, she became a very key component in the Konami Kukeha Club, best known for her work on the Suikoden series. Yeah, and she's also worked on games like Gradius, Yer Kung Fu, Life Force, TMNT, like I said, TMNT, Tournament Fighters for the Genesis, Contra 3, The Alien Wars, Vandal Hearts, Ancient Lost Civilization, and just so many more. But Nightmare was pretty early on in her career. Yeah, just a few years in. Yeah, and she composed this soundtrack while she was still a part-timer. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool because I think that she was still kind of learning her her bearings and kind of getting a grasp on stuff and doing a 
a simple soundtrack like this really kind of showed that hey like i can i can take on like more profound projects right. you know and you can you can kind of trust me with this but being part-time that's pretty amazing but let's go ahead and jump into our first block so we're going to play background music one boss music one boss music two and background music two all for nightmare on the msx composed by mickey higashino Background Music 1, Boss 1, Boss 2, and Background Music 2, composed by Mickey Higashino for Nightmare on the MSX. That first track is the most iconic track in mm-hmm. the whole series, and it's just, the melody is just so catchy. It's so good. I I really, I mean, this is the first track that I heard when we were kind of looking at this game, and it just stood out, and it was like, man, wait, this is, this is rad. This is really cool. Yeah, like you said, it's a very catchy little riff, and I like how it's very fast-paced, and it's kind of has this like triumphant, gallopy sound. Right, and, like that bass, that 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 bass line is like mm-hmm. like dun diga dun diga dun diga. Yeah, I yeah. Like that. And it also, I really love that echoey buildup to that sustained note. I was like, yeah, that's that so is cool. cool. It's like a little like a little MSX guitar solo like riff yeah. thing. Oh, that was pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I like when the bass line and the melody kind of like harmonize together. I think mm-hmm. that's a really really cool little simple trick i mean there's only three channels to work with on the msx so mm-hmm. it's it's just really cool how each channel is is utilized and and even though it's it's not a very deep track as far as like you know having multiple multiple channels mm-hmm. it is uh it does convey a very deep and, and menacing feel a very yeah. action feel to it i think it's really cool yeah and with uh boss one the thing that i liked too was it was very 
dark. Uh, it felt very much more like a boss track. Right. And the thing I liked about this one was that there's like I love that the mix of like the 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 two different kind of like melodies that are going on top of each other. There's the one that's very slow. Yeah. And then there's like the faster one. And I liked that juxtaposition of those two. Yeah. It's almost like they're colliding into each other, mm-hmm. and like one is kind of overpowering the other one, but at the same time they're having this fight. This musical fight. I Mm -hmm. think it's really, really rad. Now, Boss Track 2 is very, very simple. And when I mean simple, I mean it's only one channel, actually. This whole whole, uh, track is a a simple channel. And it's it's cool because it gave me this sense of um, like a Zelda dungeon. It Mm -hmm. it had this very, uh, I want to say, you know, it it wasn't trying to put a lot of like white noise or like drums in there. It was just saying like, Hey, like something, something evil is going down doing, this is a boss. So it's, it's very intense. So Mm -hmm. having something kind of simple is, is an, is an odd thing, but at the same time it is very kind of creepy too. Yeah. It definitely heightened that sense of alertness, I think. And for this one, unlike the first boss track, this one, the, all the notes were kind of more in sync together, which I thought was cool that one was very different than the other. But yeah, and with background music too, that was another one that was just a really interesting and catchy melody to it that it felt like it could have fit into a lot of different Konami style games. Yeah, it's it's almost like this. I don't I don't know. It's like it's like a fanfare kind of jumpy, swingy track, but it's really it's really fun and it really kind of gets that that action feeling mm-hmm. flowing and Yeah, it's very fast paced. When, when you have a lot of like enemies and, and bullets on the screen or, you know, fireballs or whatever they are on the screen at once, this music kind of kind of heightens your own senses and makes you wanna like move around quickly and very jittery mm-hmm. and, and I think it's cool that these kind of play, you know, background music one and background music two, they play it, you know, multiple times in the game but in different levels you may Mm -hmm. hear it in uh level like one level three and level five like every other level Mm -hmm. but um background music two also still conveys that same like really energetic you know hypertension feeling and i think that's pretty awesome So moving over to the graphics, they were actually considered pretty sexy for its time. Yes, for 1986, they're pretty hot. Yeah. And with a resolution of 256 by 192 with 16 colors. Actually, they only had 15 because they had two versions of black like the Spectrum. Right. And the developer had a really good understanding of how the TI video controller in the MSX worked. So they were able to pull off some pretty cool visuals. Yeah, an interesting trick they used was for flying enemy design to get around the maximum four sprite per scanline limitation of the chip. And they did this by making the shadow a separate sprite lower on the screen to give the illusion that the enemies like bats were flying without taking up a bunch of space that would end up having too many sprites overlap per scanline. Yeah, and the game itself has a lot of flying enemies, so it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of neat to after after you told me that, I looked and I start when I was playing the game, I was like, man, like Wow, these are two separate sprites, and I couldn't get that mm-hmm. thing out of that notion out of my head. But it's really cool. the The level designs are pretty basic. The colors themselves, they do look very clean and crisp, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the the palette I think is a little bit. It's very limited. It's very limited. So, like for example, like in one level, you're going to be playing. The levels are completely interchangeable. There's nothing really special that makes them. You know, this is level one. It looks this way, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the levels themselves, so for example, in the first level, you play on this kind of like field with these, uh, I don't know, pillars or columns mm-hmm. on your on your sides that kind of block you from from going, you know, left into the right too far. But anything moving down at you at the screen can can go off the screen. It kind of causes you to be a little bit. You never know when they're going to leap back in the screen. So right. it kind of 
is difficult in that way, I think. So. Yeah, you kind of have to understand the geometry that you're they're creating with this game with the the patterns that like the bat characters, like I mentioned, they swoop around, so they kind of have this big S shape where some of the other characters kind of come more right at you. So right. if they pop off the screen, you kind of have to have an idea of where they're going to pop back on, and that's you know amplified by the fact that the screen is actually moving forward too so they're going to be jumping down a little bit further than just a straight swipe back on now i noticed the biggest problem with that was when i was in the later level i want to say it was maybe like level five world five where like a bunch of ghosts and stuff fly down and what they do is they actually come down the same kind of like pattern as the bats except mm-hmm. they're able to fly off the screen and then loop back around on the other side so they create oh, like, kinda like a pac-man like come off one exactly screen and come on to like the other side S. and so that was really difficult but the levels themselves the the grass is very simple pattern mm-hmm. it's not really that amazing to today's standards it's it's very simple like there is um this pink ish background mm-hmm. it's a little bit like like salmon throw up it's a little not bit, yeah <laughs> it's not it's not really that cool but at the same time, they do a lot of cool things with the enemies to kind of mm-hmm. keep your concentration on that in the gameplay rather than all the, the minimal background effects. The other thing that's worth mentioning, too, is that there's a lot of different things like uh, obstacles like water and mm-hmm. bridges. And you have to kind of find those question mark blockers and use those as like to create a bridge. Mm-hmm. So it may add to the frustration if you can't find them. You just fall instantly to your death because knights can't swim. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, they did a really good job of organizing the colors. It's, you know, like you said, the grass is all the grass is green and then the pillars will be all one color and then the bridges will be all one color. And so even though it makes it kind of simple, it makes it very clean and easy to read in that limited palette. Right, right. So yeah, when I was saying that these these colors are very basic and they're kind of interchangeable, it doesn't really, nothing really distinct about them. Mm-hmm. What it does do, like you said, is it really does make a very vivid kind of differential between mm-hmm. the, the enemies and what's going on around right. you. So. so we've talked about the three channel PSG chip or the general instrument AY38910 chip on expansion pack seven with Richard a bit. So we won't go into too much detail on it now, but around 1987 Konami created a sound chip enhancement cart called the SCC or sound creative chip, and it came in some of their Mega ROM modules. And this being the carts. Yeah, but they also released a standalone chip for some of their disc-based games too, because some of the games on the MSX came out in cart form and some were distributed on floppies. Yeah, and this gave the MSX eight channels to work with, three from the MSX PSG, and five new channels for wavetable sound. And some of the SCC games include Salamander, Proteus, Contra, Metal Gear 2, Space Manbo, and Quarth. So what does this have anything to do with Nightmare? Well, it doesn't really, except that later on, Konami kind of went a step further when they released Snatcher and SD Snatcher and created an enhanced version of the SCC, sometimes referred to as the SCCI or SCC Plus chip. So using the Snatcher sound cartridge, Konami released a few different games collections that had five previously released games all for a single price. And all on floppies. Right. And the 1988 game collection one had Nightmare, Antarctic Adventure, Year Kung Fu, Year Kung Fu 2, and King's Valley. Yeah, so then rather than using the standard MSX PSG that these games were originally made for, they could be played with enhanced sound. And it's really cool to hear how they kind of ported the music over. So let's check out a few tracks that we just played but with SCC Plus add-on. So we have Background Music 1, Background Music 2, and Ending for Nightmare as part of the Konami game collection with SCC Plus sound for the MSX.
That was Background Music 1, Background Music 2, and The Ending, composed by Miki Higashino for Nightmare as part of the Konami Game Collection 1 with SCC Plus Sound for the MSX. Yeah, like we've played the first track. So Background Music 1, it's you can tell it's this basically same the same theme, song. Yeah. It just has some more subtleties and with those extra channels that you can really tell that they kind of enhance that sound. Right. Background Music 2, same thing. It's just a little bit more, like more notes and more, um, I guess bulk is is added to the track there's a little bit more like kind of twinkly feeling Mm -hmm. um to it and uh the ending itself too is is just more um we didn't play this yet so this is the first time that we're hearing it but it's it is a little bit more rich than Mm -hmm. than the original three three channel psg and you know to be fair too this is only using the add-on cart this is not using the msx psg it's not using any of that so these are just the five channels so Mm -hmm. it's really kind of in its purest scc plus form right and at this point this is but, what it brought to the table right right it's it's a pretty cool game though and i i highly highly recommend it if you like shooters especially if you if you've got an msx or you want to emulate it it's it's a mm-hmm. it's a fun one to play it's a fun one to pick up a lot of hard hard parts though i, I gotta say it's it's funny because in the, the packaging itself for the european release it says for experts only this game is of super high level of difficulty right yeah so i you know i i made it through the first two levels i think um without using any save states and then everything after that i was like oh my god just i gotta i gotta get yeah to it was save state. it was really hard yeah we didn't really say much about the bosses but to kind of give you a little understanding like just like any other shooter boss when you get to it it sprays out like these you know tons of bullets left and right and you have to get so many shots mm-hmm. in to kill it but some of these bosses are just insane with save states. I made it to like level six, I think. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't believe the difficulty level that they, that they put on you so quick in the game. That complexity really ramps up pretty fast. So it's a good challenge. Yeah, I agree with you. This game also appeared on mobile phones in 2003. It also was on the Wii virtual console in 2009, the Wii U virtual console in 2014 and PC in July of 2014, all for Japan. And there was also a fan-enhanced gold remake version for the MSX2. Yeah, and other remake came out in March of 2015, this year. And I think it was by a Spanish indie group called Demon Video Games. It has updated sound and graphics and plays just like the original. I thought it was pretty cool, and it's totally free, too. So we'll make sure we have a link for it in the show notes. But Popolon actually makes an appearance outside of the Nightmare series as well. Yeah, he shows up in the MSX version of Parodius as a playable character. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see him kind of running around the screen shooting things. But this is only the MSX version. It's not in any of the other releases. Right. But having him as a playable character is really cool. It's cool that Konami put that in. Anyways, let's jump ahead a year and move over to the second installment of the series, Nightmare 2, The Maze of Gallius. That was the prologue track from Nightmare 2, The Maze of Gallius. Yeah, The Maze of Gallius was released in January of 1987 on the MSX and later in the year in August on the Famicom by Konami. And this time around, they took a totally different approach to the gameplay. Whereas the first game had an overhead vertical shooter feel, this one was a side-scrolling adventure platformer with a Metroidvania kind of feel. Yeah, and the story directly follows the events of the previous game. 
Popalone rescues Aphrodite after being kidnapped by Hudnos from Mount Ados. But while he's out doing the hero thing, something was going on back at the castle. And when they return, they realize it had been invaded by the high priest Gallius. It turns out that Hudnos was actually one of Gallius' servants and lured Popalone out to take over the defenseless castle. Yeah, so the first game is all a trap. Apparently so. But on top of that, Gallios went to the heavens and this time kidnaps the soul of Popolon and Aphrodite's future child, Pompus. So in order to take back the castle and their future child's soul, they have to go back out and take down the evil high priest and his minions that reside in 10 different worlds, accessible through portals throughout the castle. So to paint a picture of the gameplay itself, both characters are playable, each with their own advantages and disadvantages. So like Aphrodite, she can swim and do multiple shots and lay multiple mines, but her jump is not as good. Right, and Popolon can destroy rocks quickly and pass through special doors, but he can jump at multiple heights. So yeah. And this is really convenient because like Aphrodite, like you said, her, her jump is very hindered because she can only jump at one given altitude every mm-hmm. single time. So where this works a lot better for Popolon if you hold up arrow on the MSX keyboard for as long as you hold it that's the jump height that you actually get so maybe a bat is in you know like a few pixels above your head you don't want to do a 12 foot jump right to to try to attack it you know so that really can be beneficial right and if you're going to have multiple characters there's no point in them being the exact same thing other than a color swap right right now there are some items in the game that kind of null some of these these uh advantages and disadvantages out but we'll kind of get into that a little bit later but yeah you can easily switch between the two on the menu screen and they each have their own health and experience points that level up independently throughout the game right and the game itself is interesting because it has that like you said really metroidvania style to it to where you know there's certain areas that you can't get to i mean they let you pretty much they just leave you in the castle and you can go wherever you want but there are you know certain requirements and certain items you have to collect to kind of fulfill you know the gap to get new areas and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get to the the first world, you have to find the key, and they don't tell you where it is. Right. You just have to kind of search around and get to all the points you can, and hope that you'll come across something. So it, it makes it really tough. Yeah, because I think when you start the game, you can move in every direction. You can go up, left, right, or down. So it's kind of like, where am I going to start? And yeah, so I had to really one and kind of hope it pans out. Right. I had a really hard time figuring the game out when I first started because. I had no idea. They just threw me in. I had no idea which direction I should go. And so eventually I was just like, well, you know, screw it. I'm just going to start playing and just mm-hmm. keep going in one direction and see where it leads me. And eventually I came across this really big key. And that key, I guess, is what I needed to unlock the the first world. Mm-hmm. And now I did kind of cheat. I needed to use a map that I found online to find out where the, the world was because I was, oh my God, like this, this is huge. This game right. is massive. And so uh, when I was able to get to that, it made a little bit more sense. So breaking it up, having a map really helped. Right. I mean, we don't have a ton of time to go through a lot of these games. so We want to kind of maximize it. So that was kind of a thing we had to do, I guess. Yeah. But the game itself is it's very simple. You have a bunch of different items and you can attack with your sword. You didn't have a sword in the last game, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of a one button deal in this game yeah, as well. Yeah, he just kind of pokes it out. Right. And Aphrodite and Popolon have the same weapons, so it doesn't really matter who you play as. Up is jump. You know, the arrow keys are just directions, and then it's kind of like the one button. Now there is like a like a secondary button for like toggling your secondary weapons, but you only use it at very specific points in time. Right.
So moving over to the music, this game was composed by Kazuhiko Uehara, Kinuyo Yamashita, and again, Miki Higashino. Although I don't really know how much involvement Higashino had in this game, but man, what an all-star team. Yeah. Uehara is credited for games like Gradius 2, Snatcher, SD Snatcher, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, all for the MSX. And there's also F1 Spirit for the MSX, which was the first game to use the SCC add-on. There's also games like Legend of the Mystical Ninja for SNES. Yeah, not only does he do game composition, but he really does a lot of sound design and sound effects for Konami games like driver work, etc. He's also the one that came up with the idea to put the sound chip in a cartridge, which would become the SCC. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so Yamashita, I don't know if we can say enough good stuff about her. I mean, she composed Castlevania for the NES. <laughs> right, that's a, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, so she was only at Konami for a few years, starting around 1986, but she left to become a freelance composer. And according to some of her interviews, she would use actual instruments and then convert each note into code for the NES chip. Yeah, we could talk about her all day, but Esper Dream 1 and 2 on the Famicom Disk System, Castlevania, obviously, NES, King Kong 2 Megaton Punch for the Famicom, Pocky and Rocky, Super Nintendo, uh, Mega Man The Wily Wars on Genesis, Mega Man X3, Super NES, and Castlevania Harmony of Despair on Xbox 360. Yes, yeah, so let's jump into our first block from this game. We have Castle Background Music world background music, and then The Great Demon.
You just heard Castle BGM, World BGM, and Great Demon, composed by Kazuhiko Uehara, Kinuyo Yamashita, and Miki Higashino for Nightmare 2, The Maze of Gallius on the MSX. Yeah, that first castle background music was was really good. I love that it has such a great melody to it, and they, they play around with a lot of little notes, and I saw when we were listening to the music, you were kind of drumming along to the little hi-hat like yeah the little, little hi-hat breakdown yeah, yeah it was cool yeah i i think these tracks man it's just so konami sounding it's mm-hmm. just really like they have their own their own vibe the, the yeah. konami kuheha club they just they really produce excellent stuff and this mm-hmm. is like no exception it's just so good it's it's really awesome creating a new melody for a totally different style game and they mm-hmm. pulled it off really well i like the the world music a lot too like i i think it's very energetic and kind of like I, I don't know. I, I guess I want to say it keeps me wanting to go forward. It's much mm-hmm. like a like like Zelda music or like some of those early like Bionic Command. It just really makes me want to keep going forward and pressing forward. Yeah, I mean, and they use those hi hats in a little bit different way, which is pretty cool. And then I really like the the echoing sounds that they had in the, in this. Track. Yeah, it does sound a little bit more like in depth than than the previous game. We're still mm-hmm. using MSX hardware. This is just PSG. You know, it's the three channels. So there's not really any you know technical differences as far as the music goes but i think as far as just like music theory technicality like there's a lot more going on it just seems like it's a lot more rich just with the three channels by themselves it's really cool that demon track isn't that rad yeah no i thought it was super awesome i loved the little like starting riff that it had and then it gets into this super menacing like melody i thought that was really great yeah really dark it's uh the you know these demons these bosses in this game are are very challenging some are easier than others but it's a it's very challenging and it's very it's very dark and this castle just and and the worlds and everything around it just feels so so kind of empty and and Mm -hmm. inhabited and like taken over like you're trying to take back something that was yours and it's just so well not only in the sense of the castle because this is the castle that they're trying to take back but i mean he has your child your unborn future child's soul i mean that's like very important so this game has a little bit of a darkness to the story i mean we're getting children unborn children's souls from heaven involved into the story it's 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 nuts but it's i think that the music conveys a really cool important message Mm -hmm. through through each version so we, we hear like the castle music the world music and like you know boss battles and stuff and i think that each each track does a really good job at conveying the importance of that particular moment. I actually want to move over to some of the controls a little bit since we kind of touched on them a little bit, right, but I right. want to kind of go into them a little bit more detail. Okay. So this was like the first game we were using a keyboard, but in the first game we only had like one button. So this second game actually uses a lot more buttons. Yeah, a little bit more complex. So we mm-hmm. said stuff about like the uh, you know sub weapons mm-hmm. and uh, being able to go into your menu and stuff and up jumps. But I mean, basically the controls are you know the arrow keys on the keyboard move you around um, up. Obviously, like we said multiple times, jumps. F two is the pause button. F1 is your equipment menu. So that's where you go in and kind mm-hmm. of change your items and stuff. Very Zelda style. Instead right. of the select button, it's, you know, the equipment F1 button. M uses the sub weapon. And this is basically what you're going to use for all of your secondary items. The space bar uses the knife. So we said that before. Instead of using arrows, now you're using that little knife or sword attack. Right. And then you also have um, some button combinations too like you have like f1 and then enter to use like the halo and stuff like that yeah and the halo is is a cool little thing because if you go to um, like a world 
and you want to teleport out, the halo itself actually kind of jumps you back into the castle. So it's 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 kind of neat. I like that. But I think there's also a few other combinations, right? Like F1 right. and numbers uses like different feathers. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, if you're standing in front of like a grave, if you hit M, uh, which is the, the secondary item button, it uses a magnifying glass. And there's different things like that. So I, I think the game, if you're going to play it, like if you're not, if you don't have actual MSX hardware and you want to play it on an emulator, definitely look at remapping your keyboard because your keyboard may not have the same layout as the original MSX had. So you right. might want to kind of do some button configurations if you don't have a, the manual for the game handy around you. So, but that does kind of lead us into the graphics of this game because it is, it is very different than the, than the first title. For me, the first thing that popped out for this game was like the first one, it has a limited color palette, but they organize it really, really well. Yeah, it's got a very, and I, I hate to keep repeating myself with saying it looks like kind of like a Zelda game, but it, mm -hmm. it really does because, you know, you have your characters and your stats and their items and stuff on the top screen and that kind of like a bar with your health and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, lower is all of like, you know, the map and the dungeon in there or the, the castle and stuff. And I think that the organization is, is kind of neat and it's very clear to see where everything is, the enemies, items and pretty much everything in the game. Yeah. And there's a lot of enemies, actually. And there's also a lot of other stuff on the screen, too. Like you see you quickly see a lot of these round, almost like meatball looking things and they're boulders and you can attack those and they they give you items like money and sometimes you find little keys and stuff like that in there right right and the there's a lot of ladders in the game there's a lot of different you know hidden aspects so maybe you move to one area and you don't see any any ladders or any way to move up but you come from underneath you know a different room mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden there's like a ladder that leads you up to there so it's it's weird they they do a lot of complex features and qualities with kind of how the, the system limitations were. So they kind of use the system limitations as part of the puzzle. And I think that was really, really clever. Yeah, I totally agree. And with the first game, you saw that they really used the limitations of the MSX to their advantage. And in the second game, you can see they do it again. And that's really great to see them take their limitations and turn them into their advantages. Yeah, like kind of building upon it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's awesome. And the fact that this game really came out just a year later shows that they they were able to quickly come up with some very very key and solid ideas and make a game that really stands out i mean this game itself i think is probably one of my best my favorite finds that i'd, I'd never heard about this right. game, and it it's got to be probably on my top list this year for like a newfound retro game i i love it i loved everything about it i thought it was really cool the bosses are in Sane. They're intense. They're they're very big. So the the enemy sprites on the game they're 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 very small. They're about mm -hmm. the same size as Aphrodite and Popolon. But the bosses are just massive. These huge kind of towering creatures that give this sense of insignificant. You know, your character is just very small, yeah. very tiny. And uh, they're you know they're shooting like thunder and and fire and and they're just really intense. I think the first battle was scary to me because it was the first time in the game that I actually had a very distinct challenge that wasn't just a maze and a puzzle solving experience. Right. And, and the way that they kind of set the game up is there's so many little platforms and each screen feels a little bit congested with little bosses or little enemies. And like you said, you're little, not very big, right? Like, it's like a catacomb. Yeah. And then you get to these bosses and it's big open areas and they're like 10 times your size. And it's like, it kind of shocks you a little bit, which I think was a really cool thing for this game. It's just a very well thought out game. And I think that all the, 
the maze aspects and the and the kind of clever like secrets and stuff that they pepper throughout the, mm-hmm. the the map really kind of give it this very unique personality. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this game, so I totally second your recommendation. But don't worry if you don't have an MSX. There was actually another version of this game for the Famicom. Yeah, and we have some music to play for that as well. There were two composers this time, Hidenori Maezawa and Shinya Sakamoto. And Maezawa, he's done work for The Goonies 2 and Salamander on NES, along with Contra, Super C, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Adventures of Bayou Billy. But he was often credited or more responsible for porting arcade titles over to the NES. And Sakamoto also did a lot of NES games for Konami and worked on games like King Kong 2 with Maezawa, Esper Dreams, Green Beret for Famicom, Russian Attack, Life Force, YY World, Blades of Steel on the NES and Famicom, and then also Castlevania The Adventure, Gradius, Nemesis on Game Boy, and Quarth and Ajax for the X68000. Yeah, so we have a couple of tracks to play from the Famicom version. We're going to play the castle music, room theme, and the dungeon music.
You just heard Castle Background Music, Room Theme, and Dungeon Background Music arranged by Hidenori Meizawa and Shinya Sakamoto for the Famicom version of Nightmare 2, The Maze of Gallus. Wow. Very cool hearing it through the NES APU. I love those tracks so much. In fact, it's not that I don't like the MSX version. Mm -hmm. I I love the MSX version, but the the Famicom version does... uh, provide a little bit more richness and i and I, I really love that sound yeah i did notice that there was like um to me that first track was almost a little bit funkier and it had like a really great beat so it had like some some energy and like seemed like injected into the songs through the famicom yeah i think that the the nes ap really has much more like rounder notes than uh the msx where the msx is very clear it's mm-hmm. very distinct note after note but the NES tends to kind of overlap, I think, notes a little bit more. And that may be due to the four channels on the NES versus the, you know, the, the two pulse, the triangle and the noise channel. MSX only having the three, they kind of had to limit it and take out some of the stuff. So we're not mm-hmm. hearing as much like percussion and they're able to kind of set that aside for its own white noise channel track. And that's maybe why they're a little bit richer and they don't run together yeah, yeah. or they run together a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, in that second track, the the room theme, I just love that slower, almost sleepier feel to this song. Yeah, it's definitely a sleeper track. I like that a lot. It's it's. I want to say that it has this mystery about it that keeps you engaged. I, I don't know. I, I just thought that that was a great track to put in. I'm glad you picked it because it was a track that isn't as energetic as a mm-hmm. lot of the other things, but it was kind of a good middleman for between these two kind of more uppity tracks. Right. Yeah. I mean, in that second one or that third one actually goes back to that, that very, um, you know, energetic feel that it's like, it really kind of is super pump you up. Yeah. And again, back to the, the four channels on the NES, you have a track dedicated to the drums. So in the MSX version, we we had to have the drums cut out in order to make room for the other the other you know um, different notes mm-hmm. that the MXS wanted to do with certain channels. But having this kind of solo drum track, they were able to keep that going, which made it a little bit more funky, like you were saying. I think that was another really cool like entity of this this piece yeah and i really just could not stop like you know tapping my foot to the beat i mean it was just so fun and energetic yeah That song brings us to the third and final chapter in the series. The track was The Town Music from Shalom Majo Densetsu 3 on the MSX. Konami released Shalom again only in Japan in 1987. That was really quick. I mean, that's the same year as the previous game. Yeah, I don't. They must have been developing like simultaneously or overlapping a little bit at one point because, I mean, the same year, that's kind of unheard of nowadays 
you yeah. know, to have games like a like a sequel or the next in the iteration of the series to come out the same exact year. It was probably later on in the year, but mm-hmm. even so, I mean, that's that's a know, lot for one team to do. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you know, games may not have a sequel for you know five to eight years. I mean, ten years. Who knows? But that, that's a quick a quick time. They were rushing to get it out there. Yeah, three games in two years. And unlike the previous two games, Shalom is kind of an RPG and an adventure game mixed together. Yeah, and it's funny because when we first started looking into this game, we actually were only going to do Nightmare, the first game. We we're going to make yeah. this kind of a short episode, kind of like our I Shinji Nicole episode. And uh, we started looking into the second and third game. And you know, we, when we got to the second game, we we're like, wow, like the, it's not a shooter anymore. It's, yeah, they changed it. It's like a maze kind of action platformer kind of thing. And so, so what's going on here? And then we looked up three, and we we're like, okay. Yeah, we kind of expected 3 to be at least another platformer or maybe go back to a shooter, but we were just blown away that it's a completely different kind of game, which is more like an RPG. So every single game is different than the last. Yeah, and it kind of works for the series. Yeah, it works really well, and you never see that. You never Mm -hmm. see that really. Like, you know, a game, like a certain franchise, departs so much from their original idea. I mean, we go from a a shooter to a full-blown, you know, RPG adventure game. It's kind of unheard of nowadays and i think that's what made it so unique we're just like man we we got to just do all that we got to do the whole series yeah it just makes sense so the game starts out in the real world where a college student finds out that his girlfriend has a copy of the new konami title shalom so he pops it in and gets sucked into the game when he wakes up, he sees Butako, a talking pig, who fills him in that the game has been cursed and he is now trapped until he can defeat the Demon King Gog. Yeah, part three takes place decades after Nightmare 2. So Papalon and Aphrodite are long dead, but their son Pampas now rules the Greek realm and he's very old and sick. Butako takes the student to Pampas, who he believes to be their savior, and he tells him that there's a prophecy in which Gog returns with his eight demon lieutenants, and they're already there preparing for Gog's return, so it's like the prophecy's coming true. Right, and in addition to the student stopping Gog, he's asked to find Princess Chelsea, who went missing two weeks prior, so Butako becomes the student's sidekick to kind of help him out throughout this world, and you carry her around on your back the entire game. Yeah, it's kind of weird, because when I started playing, it looks like there's two heads to the character, so it's hard to know which way you're facing right away, unless, you know, you're moving that direction, but it made it a little bit challenging, because it's so small, but uh, yeah, it's a really interesting little feature but moving over to the music there's a few composers in this game and it's kind of really hard it's a little gray area here because i was only able to really confirm one of them which is kinuyo yamashita and the others um including iku mizutani and yoshinori sasaki they were on a a few listed on a few different japanese website sources that i found but it was kind of mentioned briefly it wasn't Mm -hmm. like confirming but it wasn't denying anything and i think that what made it a little bit more like a realization is that they mentioned like this was kind of like a project that konami kukeha was working on so a lot of different hands were were in the you know cookie jar at this Mm -hmm. point you know composing the music so it's a little bit unclear but we're going to kind of go with this because this is the best 
kind of list that we have. So yeah, so for Mizutani, we have games like Nemesis 2 on the MSX, Metal Gear MSX, Shadow of the Ninja NES, and Shatterhand on the NES. You also had Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for the SNES, and did the sound drivers for Shojin Sentai Jetman, which we played a track from in the expansion pack episode 25. And then they also did the music direction on Renegade for the Sega Master System. Yeah, and Sasaki did um, Twin B in the arcade, Road Fighter in the arcade and the NES, and Penguin Adventure for MSX, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse on the NES. So these are all really like prolific composers, mm-hmm. and they're all very talented, and the music is pretty rad. So let's check that out. We have a few uh, music blocks to play. We're going to start with this one, which is the event background music, and then we're going to have the event background music too, and then we're going to have main background music, which is the field theme.
That was Event Background Music 1, Event Background Music 2, and the main background music for the field, composed by Kinuyo Yamashita and possibly Iku Mizutani and Yoshinori Sasaki for Shalom on the MSX. That uh, first event track was, it was very sleepy, almost like a credits type music to very, me. Very peaceful. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, a fun but kind of nice, just kind of somber track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously it's not a bad event that this is an event music for. Yeah, yeah. And I like the scales. Um, there's a lot of different scales that go out throughout the the piece. I think mm-hmm. that they were able to use them kind of early on for like a certain kind of uh I guess kind of message in the in the track and then they kind of play some more different scales later on and mm-hmm. it kind of is the bridge between the different kind of parts and I think that that was pretty clever how they how they did that. Yeah, and for this track having a lot of very similar kind of like higher chimey kind of notes, they had a lot of variety and I found myself when I was listening to it kind of expecting it to loop and just not hearing that loop. It just kept coming on with more unique, you know, very unique parts. Right, right. The main event background music too. That track, it's, it's very, I think this is the first time we're introduced to Gog and uh, like just the eyes kind of over the castle. It's mm-hmm. kind of like this kind of presence yeah. or this looming very presence. Ominous. Yeah, very ominous. And uh, it's it's got that feeling. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very, you know, these tracks don't really have specific naming for them. So we're kind of going on, you know, what other people have kind of called them. And I think that the track itself is... Um, is kind of creepy and it gets that message across pretty easily. Yeah, it has a little bit more of an urgent kind of sinister feel. And I really love there was like this spot where there was a, a pause in the song and it was right after this cool, like heavy handed kind of like piano ish part. And then right there was the pause and then there's the loop. So I thought it was a very cool way to kind of end that loop on like a very sinister kind of dark feel. Right, right. Main background music for the field. This was a really just just happy march sounding track and i i think that this track itself really has that kind of kind of pompous kind of castle feeling this march and uh it's just fun to listen to and it does a lot within that the piece itself yeah very simple and straightforward i think you know it's this track reminds me of a lot when i first heard it the first thought in my mind was uh, dragon warrior or mm. dragon quest on the nes it has that dragon warrior theme song mm-hmm. like kind of built in and every time i hear it i, I instantly think that like right away and mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of similarities between the two but it's you know listen to both like and you know kind of compare it yourself but this track does stand as a, a very good track itself again this game is a top-down rpg adventure game that takes place in an open world where you can go anywhere in any order kind of like the original zelda or almost like mother without the battle system communicating with characters in this game is important to get clues and progress the story along and you do this through the command menu yeah in command menus we've seen this a lot in other previous you know in other rpgs mm-hmm. um for the you know famicom famicom disk system and stuff where they're very menu driven and that's your only means of actual interaction so something even like deja vu where or a point and click adventure like a lot of right. the lucas art stuff it's really not so much you know pointing and moving around but really the interaction is is the entire gameplay and that's how this is right and for that menu you have things like talk look examine get use show 
give and to do. And this last one is a special contextual command, which has additional commands in certain situations. Yeah, so the it may change for like a certain, maybe you're in a part where there's like a bridge and the command is like, you know, do you want to burn the, the rope? Or it's just another verb, but it's going to be some way of interacting with a very special part of the game. Mm-hmm. So the bosses are a bit different from the rest of the game and take on a few different forms, such as like a side view action platform or similar to Nightmare 2, making you throw knives at the, the boss's weak spot while they're you know dodging your attacks and you're dodging theirs. Others are more top-down like the main game, but have gameplay similar to games like Breakout, even Pong. There's also some sliding block puzzles that make use of the command menu. And death is pretty rare in this game. So it's other other than bosses are like failing a certain puzzle, you don't really die. The battle system in this game is really unique because there is no battle system in this game. It's all completely adventure-driven. That's why it's not really an action adventure because you're not doing battle sequences. So when you were saying, you know, it's like Mother without the battle system, you're right on, right on spot with that because there really isn't any battles that right. I, you know, I was an hour in and I was like, man, you know, I haven't got into a random battle yet. And right. I realized, you know, kind of watched some other playthroughs like later on. Cause I knew I wasn't going to finish it. And I was like, you know, I never saw a battle the entire time except with the bosses. Yeah. But the bosses are really, uh, really interesting. It was weird because I made it to the first one and the first boss is like this. It's almost like a, like a dragon kind of Panther mm-hmm. kind of thing that it's, it's, it's side, side view so it's like kind of like side scrolling like nightmare 2 and you're on this little i want to say it's a platform that kind mm-hmm. of bobs up and down you can move up and down on it like a like a cart or something mm-hmm. you know from like a like a zip line rocks fall out of this chute and you have to catch the rocks and when you catch them with the front of the the thing that you're riding in you drop them on the demon's head Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and so you're given this little health bar on the, the left-hand side of the screen. It's your health and his health. If you get hit, you, your health bar goes down. He gets hit, his health goes down. And then that's pretty much it. When you defeat the boss, there isn't really any kind of rewarding music or anything. You're just teleported right back into the world. So it's kind of kind of interesting there. Yeah, and another interesting thing in this game is the saving options. So there's a couple different options for this game, like 10 monks that are scattered throughout, and then there's also a 130 character password that you could use instead. In case, like, you know, certain things weren't hard enough to remember, you miss one one letter and it's like, oh man, I got to do eight hours worth of gameplay right. again. I, I didn't get the password written down correctly. Is this a J or is this an I? I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we have another block of music from this game. So we have Farewell, Mountain, and The Final Battle. And we'll be right back.
was Farewell, Mountain, and that iconic nightmare track, The Final Battle, composed by Kinuyo Yamashita, Ikumizutani, and Yoshinori Sasaki for Shalom on the MSX. The Farewell track was... Um it was. It had some sadness to it. I think it did. It it definitely felt like it was maybe a sad farewell that was going on. Yeah, like somebody died, or I don't know, maybe not. I, I didn't get that far, but give me a little little tear, little, yeah. little twinkle in the eye there. Uh, one thing that I thought was cool about this track is right before the loop, there's like this part where it feels like everything kind of slows down, and I thought that was just it drew my attention right to it, and then it's like boom, there's the loop. So I thought I was like, wow, that's a nice. Like this game seems to kind of draw attention to its loops and i thought that yeah. was kind of neat yeah where we cut we're going to cut it out after the the loop so you're not going to hear how it transitions because you know it's the same same part but at the end of the track that's kind of where it goes into its loop so mm-hmm. it's it's really neat because all these songs they're meant to be played kind of in that loop because when you're on the menu screen or you're waiting for a certain action everything's going to repeat itself mm-hmm. so at some point they the composers had to think like how are we going to kind of transition without just making this very simple like looping track over and over that people are going to get sick of. How are we going to make like the track kind of come to an end and then, you know, start it up again. And mm-hmm. that this track is kind of a good example of that. The Mountain Music, this was a probably my favorite track in this game. It's so it's really kind of got that death mountain feel to it, that march in the beginning, but then it goes into these really long drawn out notes and the melody is just it carries the rest of the track. Yeah, I thought it was very menacing, and it reminded me a little bit of uh, the music in like Bowser's airship. Oh Mario. yeah, like that's it totally reminded me of that's that. That's good, yeah, but like yeah. in a good way. I was like, wow, this is cool. Like it, it wasn't that it was like exactly the same. It just had that feel that was very menacing, and it had a very similar kind of sound. And I just thought it was a really cool track. I really enjoyed this one as well. Yeah, and then that last track, the final battle. Uh, this is obviously the background music from Nightmare One, yeah. and uh, we're hearing it kind of redone, re- recomposed, rearranged in this mm-hmm. new version. And this is like a really good tribute to that first right. game, where it's, you know, it's hard to, other than the story, it's hard to connect the series. Mm-hmm. It's hard to kind of, if you're a player, yeah, if because you I mean, all, visually they're very different. So right. other than that thread of the story going through all the way, it's there is really not much of a connection. But I mean, think about it. This it's, it's really cool because this is the last. The last fight, mm-hmm. the last confrontation that you're going to get into before the end of the game, and they're bringing us back to the beginning of the series. Right. It's like the full circle. Now yeah. it's now it's been completed. And I didn't really think of it like that before. Wow, that's clever. Yeah. No, this whole game has just been like this whole series has just been full of clever little things. I mean, it's just really neat. Yeah. I don't know how popular the game was. I mean, apparently the first game was pretty popular because they did a lot of remakes. A lot of people liked yeah, it. It's on the Wii U virtual console. Right. And Shalom, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, Nightmare 2 got, you know, ported to, to the Famicom and stuff like that. So there was some, you know, there were, there were people that were into this series. It mm-hmm. just never really got big in the, in the States, unfortunately. But it's a shame because the the game itself has has so much to offer and it has so much diversity. I love all the music in this game. It's just mm-hmm. it's all of it's very clever and and works for the situations and it tells this really cool story all the way through. So moving over to the graphics, they did a lot of things that were unique to this game, but they also had some things that we saw in previous games. Um, one of the very unique things is how this game starts out. You right, start right. out and it's like 
you're seeing a computer monitor and you're seeing the reflection of two people in the computer monitor, which are the student and Obvious. his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. That was such an interesting way to come into the game with. When we first started up, we actually first played it together yeah. here. And we were kind of looking, we're like, what is going on here? Yeah, I'd feel like, is this like an advertisement or is like, what's going on? And then when we kind of got into the story a little bit, at first I was like, ah, this is kind of dumb like the first two games kind of set up this very cool story that was kind of dark and and then this game starts out it's like you're in the real world and the you start out as a player playing a game from konami and but then it really kind of became a cool story and right so the next thing after you get the game loaded and everything and you start playing and you you wake up and you see this giant like face like right in your face of <laughs> Uh, Butako, and, yeah, and it's like, what is this? What is going on? I didn't know that we there both, was like we both big c- people in this game, right? This we both series, didn't so. know what it was. Like we, you know, we we're playing the the Japanese version of the game, so I was kind of translating it for you, and all of a sudden you're like, what? What is this? And I'm yeah. like, I didn't see any, I didn't see anything about a like a person or a pig or anything. Yeah, and then eventually it kind of unfolds that like you know this is a pig person talking, and I, I think that the graphics and stuff look really clean when you see mm-hmm. this close up. It's very detailed. It's very. Yes. You know, this it, it's a very vivid image. It's you can tell it's it's almost like they were making like this old style JPEG, you know, that you mm-hmm. saw on these old like I don't know, three eighty sixes or something that were, were done like Microsoft Paint yeah. back in the day. But they look very, very detailed and they were really well done. Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot like you said, a lot of details and her face is very kind of round looking, so she has a lot of three dimensionalness to her. Um, right. But then moving into some of like the world stuff, um, like we've seen in the previous games, there's uh, a very definitive color palette and they use right. it in a very clean way. Like the dirt is very clear that you're looking at the dirt and the bushes are very clear. So everything is still very clear and very well organized. Yeah, very separated. And they have these like scenes every now and then, these kind of like scenes that pop up, kind of like we were saying with Butako, you know, like yeah. his face is in there. It's very detailed. There's also scenes of like, castle and gog looking over the top and, and yeah. just everything just basically fire in the background yeah, tons and, of detail yeah there's a lot and the the environment changes based on where you are so there's like different stuff so if we're looking at the world map which looks a lot like like a like Mar- super mario world map if you zoom way out mm-hmm. it's kind of separated into different continents and there's one that's very clear like a like a tundra and there's one that's like a meadowy kind of grassy field and then there's like deserts and different bodies of water and Mm -hmm. the game just is very very open and very very big i guess yeah and one thing that's also very clear right from the start is that the game playing screen does not take up the full screen there it's almost it's in a box that's on a like a black background that allows you to have your menu and also shows the shalom logo in the corner all the time so it's like you're you're looking at a window that has a window in it yeah it's like you're looking into a video game and like there's like you said that black part at the bottom for dialogue basically Mm -hmm. that's only there there is no battling in this game so it's all very dialogue driven there's a lot of you know, story elements that take place in random encounters, random events. So I I think that it was a good way to organize the screen. It did feel a lot like, like deja vu where Mm -hmm. you have everything below you or, you know, like day of the tentacle where you have like your menu always there. And mm-hmm. I think that added a really different characteristic to this game versus the other ones. Right. And like we had mentioned in the beginning of the game, it kind of breaks that fourth wall where you're the character interacting with a character that's interacting with a game. Um, they do that throughout the game. Uh, so it's not just that one time. There's other times where, you know, the character will 
basically die in quicksand and you'll get like a game over screen and then they'll prompt the you know that you can save the student or the you know the player by pressing the question mark key so they do a lot of interacting where it kind of breaks down that it's someone playing a game but this game there are people that live in this game world which is very cool yeah i think i think that's really interesting we don't see that done a lot i don't know like this reminds me of the secret of monkey island there's this point where you reach monkey island and he says oh man i sure seems like this was worth like the the you know sixty dollars which would be a great price for a game it's, yeah. it's a lot of you know we we don't see it a lot in games but where they break that fourth wall but this was a good example and there's this game is just like riddled with comedy there's mm-hmm. very very funny interactions between you and like or, or the character you play as and butako throughout yeah. your journey i only played like i said about an hour but there was some there's some pretty hilarious little little segments in there. Oh, right. Like when you uh, use the command menu and if you don't interact in the proper way, like she'll kind of make fun of you a little bit, which I just thought was super cool. And we didn't see that kind of humor in the early games. So right. I think this was just a really fun way to kind of carry on the story. And another thing that I thought was very interesting in this is by having Popolon and Aphrodite be long dead and their son who you saved in the second game, you saved his soul, is now old and dying, it gave this world a very real feeling. Like these characters have life expectancies and they live in like a world that interacts and then bringing it in to where you're playing a game and you get sucked into the game, which has its own world, it made that feel even more real. It did, Which is very cool, which is, like you said, something you don't see in games a lot. So it started out as something kind of dumb and kind of cheesy and it turned into something that just kind of added this whole new dimension to it the was game. it was way more rich than we ever expected mm-hmm. and even when we were first looking into it like okay it's an rpg wow okay that's that's interesting in itself but the way they present it is so different than mm-hmm. everything else that i think it's you know check it out when we were first playing it we were playing the japanese only version you're like hey uh, do you think there might be an english rom translation yeah, out here i don't speak japanese and don't read japanese so it i can only like, do so much with an rpg yeah we had to kind of look at it together at first and then you know, started looking around and we found out that there is a, a beta patch out there for the like an english patch there's mm-hmm. also a portuguese patch um or i think it's portuguese patch out there too but um, the English patch, we looked at it, and it looks, it looks pretty well done. And yeah. You can play the game through. So this is definitely... Well, we'll put a link to the patch in the in the notes because I don't know how, how active it... If it's still continuing or if they're still you know making improvements. But mm-hmm. you played a little bit. And it was very playable, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's re- I think it was a, it's a great game to try out. And uh, definitely with the English patch on there if you don't speak Japanese. So we actually have one more track to play. It's the ending theme, and it's a really good one. It's very unique. So we're going to play that real quick, and we'll be right back.
such a cool track. That was the ending theme for Shalom on the MSX. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it felt so sad in the beginning. Like, it made me feel like this is goodbye forever, you know, like the, this series is over. And then it's like, it just kicks in. And it's like, what? I d- totally didn't expect that. Like, yeah. I thought it was very cool. It kind of jazzes cool. it up a little bit. I love those like slides and like the trills and the kind of grace notes that they mm-hmm. threw. And I think it's, it's really pretty track alone by itself. And then when they add that, that little and they, they mm-hmm. go into the, like more jazzy part. I think it's it's super fun. It's really fun. Yeah, I mean, and, and when you think about it in the context of this is the the ending theme for the third game, it to me it was like, yeah, it started out kind of sad, like, okay, the series is over. But then when that kicks that part in, it's like, you know what? But this wasn't sad. This was a great adventure and almost like a thank good- you for sticking it through and having such a good time with this. So Yeah, you know, we were looking, I was looking at the ending credits and there are none and I was kind of disappointed, but... This, this track, you do get this really kind of bright splash screen of uh, all the all the characters involved in the game. Mm-hmm. You even get to see uh, Popolon and Aphrodite yeah. and as, you know, Pompus as a baby and as an old man. And it, it just, it was a really cool way. I was just smiling when I was heard mm-hmm. it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. We almost didn't play this track, but uh, you yeah. were like, oh, no, we got to play that. Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad such you, a cool one. You, you brought me over. That was good. So that kind of concludes this show. Hope you guys enjoyed that music. It was fun for us to kind of dive into something we weren't used to and we didn't grow up with. It was really a cool find. Mm-hmm. So today we covered Nightmare or Majo Densetsu on the MSX composed by Miki Higashino. We also covered The Maze of Gallius, a.k.a. Nightmare 2 on the MSX composed by Kazuhiko Uehara, Kinuyo Yamashita, and Miki Higashino. Also, the port of Maze of Gallius on the Famicom, composed by Hide Nori Maezawa and Shinya Sakamoto. And lastly, Shalom on the MSX, composed by Kinuyo Yamashita and, under reasonable belief, Ikumizutani, Yoshinori Sasaki, and even, possibly, Kazuhiko Uehara. I really hope you liked the show, and I hope it actually inspired you to go back and play some games you've missed or rediscover the ones that you haven't played in a while. So, And if you'd like to find out more about our show, you can check us out online at pixelatedaudio.com for show notes and track lists. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pixelated Audio. Yeah, and we're also on iTunes and Stitcher, so make sure you subscribe. And you know, if you can, leave us some comments and a review. It's, it's awesome for us to kind of check those out every now and then and see you guys, you know, kind of reinvigorating the passion that we have for video game music. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure to check out some of our past episodes like Mega Man, I Sent You Nicole, Locks Quest, and our expansion packs. Yeah, those expansion packs are always fun because we learn about a lot of new music ourselves. And you guys might find something you really like and want to kind of take it a a step further and listen to the whole soundtrack. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, definitely check those out. Anyways, the track taking us out is from the fan remake Nightmare Gold on the MSX2, remixed by Pablo Vasquez Bravo Vialba. So check that out and we'll see you guys in a few weeks.